Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. Just recently, I was uh, I did a podcast with a, a, a wonderful human being named Chazi. She is a designer out of New York. She has been a uh, kind of an unintentional hero to many. And uh, she's been helping out a lot of people in many ways, trying to make sure that a lot of our, our new opinions in the, in the industry are being looked after. And uh, we're trying to make sure that some of the people don't get lost in the system of, uh, of big government, uh, unemployment insurance and uh, subsidies and all that stuff. You know, it, she's really a great example of how we are here to support our brothers and sisters in the industry we make sure that we have to we have to take care of our own. We're an industry that's so dedicated to taking care of other people outside of our industry that when when we uh, when we get stuck in the mud for almost a year now, we really have to kind of focus on ourselves and take care of each other. So today, I'm really happy to talk to somebody who is part of the team who has been kind of been kind of tossed to the woods, for lack of a better term. Her name is Alex, Alex Vasquez Deming. She is a lighting programmer, designer, and production manager. Uh, today, she is in El Salvador, but she is based out of New York City. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it, Alex. Thank you. Hi. How is it down there? You look you look very sunny and very happy right now. It is very sunny. That is like the one main thing keeping me normal. I think it's kind of funny that you said toss to the woods. Because when I first got here, I insisted on in quarantining and I went to the farm in the middle of nowhere and I was literally <laughs> like in a jungle. <laughs> like my daily routine was like make breakfast, spray like lavender to keep scorpions away, like light candles to keep mosquitoes away. Like I felt like a witch in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Especially coming right out of New York City. It was like, what is happening with my life right now? <laughs> <laughs> literally tossed yourself to the woods well let's just uh, let's skip the small talk and get straight into what happened so march 13th ish you found out like the rest of us that our industry is shutting down the most optimist of us were we're like well this is we'll be out of work for two weeks maybe a month two months but you you didn't you didn't see that what did you do what was your I, first take I was one of those optimist people. My okay. best friend was freaking out. He's like, we're not going to have work, blah, blah. Like, look what's happening in LA. And I was like, oh, like, it's New York. Like, everyone's just going to get it and we'll be over it. Like, it's fine. Uh, so dumb. <laughs> like, that same week, exactly. Like, you start getting all the emails. Like, this is canceled. This is canceled. This is canceled. Just for, like, the next two weeks, right? And then I ended up being, I was, like, in tech. And the, the artistic director was actually on tour. So I, as the lighting designer, was in charge of the venue that day. And so the artist comes in and they're like, hey, like, we're all good to tech, but we don't have our set because <laughs> our scenic designer might have COVID. So we're like, what? So then we're like calling. I can't remember if, if the person in charge was in Hawaii or Italy. I think Hawaii, because Italy was kind of fucked at that point. So right. we're calling Hawaii, like, should we cancel the show? Like, what's happening? And so, yeah, we're, like, in tech, and then we just decided to call it, and we just all went home and then never went back to work. <laughs> wow. So is everything just still sitting there? Yeah. 
Oh my God. And we all, so when you left, you're like, well, this is just going to be delayed two weeks and we'll be right back. No big. For sure. Yeah. I was definitely one of those people who was like, oh, two weeks, maybe a month. And yeah. <laughs> all right. So you were, you were home for those two weeks and I would imagine just, you kept getting those emails that things are canceled, which is totally oppositional to our nature. We're, we come from the world of the show must go on. Yeah. Yeah. That was really scary. And also because I guess like the people in the field were all getting all these emails, but then my friends who weren't in the field were just kind of going about their lives. And so it was like, you don't understand what's happening inside me right now. <laughs> so that was kind of isolating oh. at first. When it How was weird is that? Us. Yeah. For people just next, your next door neighbor, just get up and go to work. You're like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or like, I remember being on an N train and it was just empty because everyone was just working from home. Eventually. I don't know. It was just so bizarre. It was just so, so bizarre at the very beginning. <laughs> All right, so when did you decide that you should leave New York City? Was that fairly early or did it take no. a while? No, I was gonna stick it. I was gonna stick it out. I was like, this is fine. Like, this is where I wanna be. This is where my home is. This is where everyone I care about is. But then uh, <laughs> my lease was ending in July. And like, at that point, I think I had just been like, closing my eyes and ears until June. And then at June, it was like, okay, like I need to figure my life out. I can't just like, you know, hunker down and wash all my vegetables as soon as I get home. <laughs> so, uh, and my roommate had left. My roommate left like at the very beginning. She was like, oh, I'm out of work. Bye, peace out to Connecticut. <laughs> so then I was just like alone, isolated, going insane. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, my lease was going to be up and I was like, well, I can't keep paying for this. So I gave up my apartment. And so then I just had to plan like to pack my whole life away and see what I was going to do. So, um, that same roommate told me that I could just come live with her and her parents. And so all my stuff is in a storage unit in a very small town in Connecticut right now. <laughs> like my entire life <laughs> and so another friend who lived two blocks down from me in Astoria was like just come stay with me like so that you don't leave the neighborhood like at least, you know like just like stay here for a bit like while you get your I don't know your bearings down or whatever so I was there for two months um and then yeah I ended up going to Connecticut for maybe a month and then I think it was in September that I decided, like, I can't be here anymore. Like, why am I here? I'm just I'm spending my parents' retirement money, frankly, which is, you know, horrible just to be here. Because <laughs> at that point, I was going to apply for a green card. So you had to be in the country. Right. Um, eventually, I spoke to lawyers and they were like, look, like with Trump, this is just not going to happen. Like, we would just be wasting like $50,000. And it's just probably not going to happen. So then, uh, yeah, one day I just was like, I just need to leave. And so I bought a ticket home. Oh, man. <laughs> so this is this is kind of what I want to get into. And, I, and uh, please feel free to share as much as you want to here. Mm -hmm. But that decision is so, it carries so much more weight than somebody who's moving from, say, California or Connecticut who had the big idea to go to New York city and do what they want to do. Yeah. You know, they just, they're just kind of able to just kind of sidestep it and go to Connecticut for however long they yeah. can be there for, for years if need be. Yeah. But for you just getting on a flight, going back to El Salvador, you, <sighs> you might've, I mean, there's so much at stake for you right now. Yeah, it was, a really big decision that I think at the moment when I bought the ticket, I took lightly, but it was just like, it had just been months of building up. So what am I doing here? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? And it was like, it's just going to be cheaper to live in El Salvador. 
I won't feel homeless. Cause like, you know, like a lot of friends like gave me their homes, but you still feel like an intruder, <laughs> honestly. You're an extended guest basically. Yeah. So it's, you know, like, I don't know. I just felt kind of like a burden. <laughs> right. But you were in New York city, basically following your dreams yeah. <laughs> to be a New York lighting designer. Mm-hmm. to so much so that you were willing to make the full commitment and go for the green card, which you know, especially with the Trump administration is going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. So I gave that up <laughs> around the time that I decided to come back. Cause like, that's the thing. Like if I left the country, like there was no chance of applying because of all the like rules he's put on. But at this point I feel like it's okay. Um, like I'll get another O one. I actually so I think John mentioned the International Theater Makers Awards. Okay. Um, and we we're both uh some of the recipients, which is extremely exciting. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I I cried and then I cried with my lawyer. <laughs> like that's how intense it was. Um, but yeah, basically they. Uh, Dyer Harris law firm called up the playwrights realm I guess sometime last year and we're like we just need we need to help somehow so they were going to offer I think it originally was going to be two pro bono like lawyer cases um and then playwrights were like oh we would love to and then they added one and then it ended up being five so five international artists are gonna have like their lawyer and fees covered fully, which is insane. Just insane. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if everyone else has already been on the O1. I think they have, but in my case specifically, so it was 2017 when I left because I had to get the visa, right? But I was straight out of college. Like I don't even have a master's degree. So like I thought I was just so insanely lucky because I (laughs) left college went to Jacob's Pillow did an internship there and then I literally just bought a bus ticket (laughs) to New York like I had no plan (laughs) I had like a friend who had offered me her couch and I was like sure why not like I have nowhere else to go like it's the same thing that now like oh people can just go home I was like I don't have that choice like I just need to make it happen or else I'm just gone (laughs) so in the fact that you had the O1 visa you were Mm -hmm. already extremely fortunate to have that Mm -hmm. but it also comes with the requirement that you have to keep working in that industry that you're extremely limited to the jobs you can take yeah which is why you know I'm here um because I don't know I can't design lighting over zoom like I know some people are doing it but it's just not <laughs> you know That's a, it's and, a thing it's a it's yeah a niche. yeah and then like again like getting a bus to New York like people will take like survival jobs like people will work at Starbucks or be away or whatever like I never had that choice I remember reading an interview there's this Salgorn eh, he's a writer um, but Julio Torres, I remember reading his interview when he was going through all this and he was just saying like, we can't have a plan B. Like you just have to be all in or that's it. There's no plan B, there's no plan C, there's no nothing. Like you just have to do it. And so that's that's just the pressure you come in knowing. And luckily I knew because a lot of people don't know. Like they'll go to school and then they'll like start working and then realize like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? I can't stay now. Luckily, my a couple of my friends had left, had graduated one year early. And then by the time I got to the city, they were working on their 01. And so as soon as I got there, my friend was like, look, this is what I've been having to do. And you should just tailor this year to try to fit this criteria. <laughs> and so in the back of my head, every single job I took or didn't take, I had that in my mind. Like, because being an assistant line designer, like, I've only been assistant once. And I'm only 
not even five years out of college, but I had to make that choice to like maybe design smaller shows because for the visa, being a lighting designer is the only thing that counts. If I was an assistant, if I was an associate, none of that counts, like none of that matters. So my entire first year and even past four years have sort of been tailored to like, what will allow me to stay in the country? And that's the only things I can do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, you just strapped with so many sandbags there to really make it work. I mean, yeah. I, I appreciate that you know you knew what you had signed up for to some degree. I was very lucky in that respect, I think. But uh, I mean, who would have thought that all of New York would shut down? I mean, that's if anything has ever been a a certainty, it's that New York will be doing some sort of shows. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, which is why I was so optimistic. I was like, no, it's New York City. You know, New York strong, whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, right. Not alone. <laughs> there's, still, there's still people who uh, are sticking by that, I, I assure you. I mean, I, I would be. Like, I would still be there. By choice, I would be there. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine you could have... <laughs> If it, if it weren't for the 01 restrictions, you could sidestep and do Uber or something like that, you know, uh, some sort of something to keep you Translations, afloat. like, you know, like I came home and I opened up a freaking baking business. Like I could have done that in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Turn stress baking into some money. I don't know. <laughs> well, so you, so as soon as you landed in El Salvador, you isolated and then started up a baking? Yes. <laughs> Just like that. Yep. I just opened up an Instagram account and I drew a logo and I called it Tropical Witch. <laughs> and today I have like 500 plus followers on Instagram for my little baking business. <laughs> wow. That is exactly the innovation and the motivation <laughs> that the O1 visa is designed to bring to America. That's yeah, exactly why they do that. It's like, man, we really need some people over here who are willing to start up a bakery on a moment's notice. You know, that's <laughs> that's the whole point. I think I also just needed an outlet. Like the first thing I made were these uh, chocolate truffle eyeballs because it was for Thanksgiving. Because so when I was little, Thanksgiving was big. And then at one point, the whole country decided that it was like satanic. <laughs> because my country is very Catholic. <laughs> and so Halloween just like vanished from the country. <laughs> like I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> um, and so I came back, you know, like right around Halloween and I love Halloween um, because of all the production and like, etc. cetera. Yeah. So yeah, I made these like eyeballs, but they're hand painted. And so I only sold one because like the rest of the country, I guess things are satanic. And I sold one box of 15 eyeballs and it was the hardest $25 I have ever made in my entire life because I spent <laughs> like 36 hours on these. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh man. Just... I, thought, I thought theater didn't pay well, but uh, $20 for 36 hours, that's... <sighs> yeah, but I mean... I think I just needed to devote my entire person into something. So I think you're going to have to uh, rework your, your, uh, your market material oh, to the, for sure. I'm to the location. Person. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, like free range, everything. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> the, the organic eyeballs doesn't have the same appeal in El Salvador as it does really in New York don't, City. Like, I think my market is Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I, that's actually a great way to segue into the next one is uh -huh. I can't imagine that some of the things that you have been focusing on in New York city apply to El Salvador in any way right now. I would imagine that so many things that you were learning just don't apply down there. Yeah, it's a completely different world. And I think I spent the whole, 
at least one month just trying to figure out where I was standing because I haven't lived here in 10 years. And so I left when I was 18. And so now I'm 28 and I'm just like a completely different person, obviously, because, you know, like I went to college in the South and then I moved to New York City and I've just become a completely different person, completely different values, completely different like view of the world. And so, yeah, the first thing is just like, there's no lighting, period. Um, Obviously because of the pandemic, there's no theater. But even before that, like I, I know a lot of the people who are working in theater here and I just have mad respect for them. But here it's like you have a day job and then you do theater, like it's your passion, but like your passion isn't a real job. Cause even when I was, you know, I was already like studying lighting, I was about to graduate from college and I came here, I came to like one of the biggest theaters. And I remember just like asking for a backstage tour. And when we went up to the control booth, the technician who was like the person in charge of everything, <laughs> that is our entire field. I remember him, t- I hadn't said anything about my background really, but he was just like, and then you can pull the fader down artfully. Like that was lighting design. The technician in the back pulling down the fader artfully. Like that's the field. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And oh, I've seen, man. yeah. And I've seen, I think one show a couple years ago, maybe when I was doing the visa thing, and it wasn't bad, but I don't know where they learned all of this. Probably self-taught, you know? Yeah. All right. So yeah. I, I have to know, coming from that generation or, or that atmosphere of where you work your day job and then you go and you do theater as like a hobby, mm-hmm. what was it like for you to explain to your family and your community <laughs> Like, hey, so I got this visa. I'm leaving for the United States, possibly New York City, to become a theater professional. They're like, what was the response? I don't think they've ever really understood. I think my mom (laughs) finally kind of gets it. (laughs) Um, But I remember being, so, you know, I went to SCAD, so it's an art school. And so I remember my dad buying me paint, I don't know if it was paintbrushes or paints. But he was like, well, you're in art school, like you're painting, right? And like, that was his entire understanding of my like life choices. Like you're an artist, so you're painting, (laughs) which was very sweet in his way, but he just has no idea at all. And then, yeah, anytime like, because I studied production design. So anytime I would come home and be like, oh yeah, like I'm a production designer. I would just get these like completely blank looks, just completely blank. (laughs) And so I had to be like, oh, like, you know, like in theater or like here they call it spectacle. So it's like, oh, I do spectacle. <laughs> and that's just the easiest way. Um, but I, I guess this is a little personal, but like I did kind of lose some friends who just never got it. <laughs> like they just thought it was like a dumb idea. <laughs> um, because here you just have to, like every time I came back, some of my friends stayed, some of my friends went to school in other places. Um, but anytime I talk to anyone who had stayed, it's like they have to grow up so fast if you want to do anything in your life. So like they like you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a banker, you have to just do something that's gonna like allow you more opportunities because otherwise you're just screwed. Um, like right now, my <laughs> if I don't have this little bakery thing, like the options open to me are like being a call center. It's like, I speak four languages. I am college educated. I would be working at a call center. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, no disrespect to call center workers, but no, uh, but it's just, I don't think that's part of your passion. No, I I fit in. No disrespect at all. It's just like, these are like the opportunities in my country like it doesn't matter how educated you are like unless you do it yourself it's just not a thing (laughs) so here you are in new york city learning designing from you know in the basically the the entertainment capital of the world Mm -hmm. you're learning from i mean you're surrounded by world leading designers artists playwrights 
I mean, you're in your element. Yeah. And I mean, to the point that you're actually starting to push sustainability and, and uh, how, how to do this the most efficient, most effective way for you to just get, be tossed out and, uh, and have to kind of s- start over. I, I don't know if I want to, I don't think you're starting over, but. So the way I've put it to myself <laughs> is that it's just a pause, like okay. in my mind or the way that I'm keeping optimistic, I guess, is just seeing it as a pause. Like, cause if I allow myself to just think like, I'm done. Like, I don't know. I'll just start crying, <laughs> you know, right. like, so I, I just need to call it a pause. It'll work out eventually. Okay. So uh, one of the things that drew me to having the discussion with you is on your website, you actually have like a tab that is showing the things that you're doing for sustainability. And it's actually you giving speeches. How did you, how did you get uh, drawn to that? So I originally was going to study environmental law in France. <laughs> um, before, okay. Yeah, before I even was like a oh, feet or anything. Um, but then I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. Because uh, I just cared about the sustainability, like the environmental part of it. Um, and then when I eventually did go to uh, study production design, my school had a minor um, called Design for Sustainability. And I was so happy because it's just, des- I mean, it's design. And it's just, I mean, what drew me to it is just like, well, we're all going to die if we don't care about the planet. It's just as simple as that. Yeah. But. <laughs> Um, but then just learning more deeply, I think about like systems thinking. Okay. Like right now, it, let's say the whole world operates in like, what is it? The baseline, like, you know, profit. And so right. we learned about um, people, planet, profit. So it's three P's instead of one. And so you just start seeing the whole world like that. And the picture of me giving a speech, it was for, um, it's was, it was called Weggy Price. And it's a circular economy uh, foundation. And so we had to design a system or a product that would work within the circular economy. <clears throat> and so I think just like going deeper into that just like shapes my brain <laughs> more. So it's like, for me, if, I don't know, let's say a pen, like this was, I remember one of the main examples, like let's say a pen, like you use a pen and then you throw it away when it's done, right? Right. But if you stop just seeing the pen right now and start thinking about like downstream and upstream, so it's like you have the pen, but like what, what went into making the pen? Like you have to get the plastic, you have to get the metal, like all the extractions, all the labor in like countries where all these people are just, you know, getting sick <laughs> and all the pollution, and then you just toss it. Then it lasted what, like two months for all of the things that it had to go through to become a pen. Yeah. And it's like, that's just such a small example, but it applies to everything. Like another small example that I think applies with, with like touring and stuff or like catering, like the disposable plates like yes they're convenient awesome but like what went into making them and like we just see things right now we don't think about what happened before what comes after because they're only useful for us right now and so it's just trying to see the whole world (laughs) as systems because nothing is isolated like everything should is circular we just decide to see this one small bit of it so it's just being conscious of like everything has a past and a present and a future <laughs> and just approaching everything that way is yeah. Oh my God. We need to bring that to the forefront of every conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we go to conventions and lectures and stuff and we see all the disposable plastic that's just being handed out, it's like a competition To see who can hand out more disposable plastic. Yeah. Um, With dyes and logos and all of it. Trinkets and LEDs and batteries and. And like shipping too. I did a very short internship. I guess I won't name it because I don't know, whatever. But it's one of the major, you know, production houses. Um, And 
we were packing uh, instruments to go somewhere and just like <laughs> all the plastic and all the styrofoam. And I had gotten pretty close to my supervisor. So I was like, you know, there's like a better way to do this. Like we don't have to use styrofoam. He's like, what is it? And because at the point, at that point I was in school. So I was like learning about all these like insane materials. I was like, oh, like you could use mycelium. But to me, that was an everyday word, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> and so, no. yeah, so it's like, we're such a tech, like we're such a small business in the grand scheme of things, but we're really not like we create so much waste. And maybe we're such a small biz, like field that we could bring all these like new things to be tested out. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're small enough for it to be a good place to experiment. I don't know. Uh, I can't wait for the day for mycelium to be a well worldly recognized word for people yeah. to understand the power <laughs> of what we can do with mushrooms, you know? That yeah. We have so far to go. But these things already exist. That's the thing. Like there's so many things that already exist, but they're just like in material labs in the University of Michigan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine what it would be like for you to be in New York City, which is not exactly known to the effective use of materials. I mean, it's a very wasteful society in general. It's yeah, getting better. Yeah. It's getting better. We so we have the um, the plastic bag ban effective March 1st. And guess what had to be thrown out because of the pandemic, like two weeks later. (laughs) Same thing here in Canada. uh, We had, we almost had it. We almost had it. In fact, some of the, some of the supermarkets have stuck to it and they did it on their own. But now, so like I've got all my bags ready, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, now you can't go into the supermarket. You have to order and then they bring it out to your car and then they just get, comes out with 10 freaking plastic bags you're like yeah so much work to to avoid that that actually was a thing that i had to get used to here because here there's no recycling and you would think that there would be but that's i feel like we're just having sustainability now not theater but i guess that's fine yeah Um, so yeah so here it's really really hard to recycle um and I think that a big thing is like, you know, this is a developing nation. And so developed nations are the ones who have created so much waste and maybe now are starting to think about like, oh, we should maybe find a different way. But then less developed nations, I think sometimes see it as, well, they had their chance. They got to grow. Why can't we? Whereas instead, the thinking should be, we are at the beginning or at the middle, whatever, we should find a different way because we don't, we're not stuck to these ways that are so polluting. We should be the way forward. Like Costa Rica is a good example of that. Like, yeah, they've taken so many steps to just be better. (laughs) And so, yeah, here there's so much packaging, there's so much waste and we're so small that we should just be better, (laughs) but you know. Oh, there's so much to unpack there. A lot of people like to uh, pass the blame onto other countries and especially developing countries because yes, their, their CO2 emissions and their pollution levels are going to rise as they're developing. And it's really easy to point the finger from the developed nations because they're like, well, don't look at us, look at them, you know, but but they, they can't look back at themselves and go like, yeah, it's because you already did all your development. You already set the rivers on fire. You already took all the oil out of the ground. You already burned all the trees down, you yeah. know? So now yeah. you, you're being forced to be more sustainable, whereas they exactly. haven't burned the all their trees down yet. Yeah, it's hard. I think, and that's, it comes back to the same system thinking. Like, I think it's really easy to just see what's in front of you. It's yeah. a lot harder to see what does this one action impact. God, especially when it comes to disposable pens and anything single-use plastic. Yeah. You just also, toss like, in the garbage. And it- yeah. Also, like, water. Like, in the States, you can just, you know, like, open your... See, I told you I was going to forget words. <laughs> uh, sink? Tap? Tap. So yep. You can open your tap, grab some water, you're perfect, right? Here, you can't do that. So... People have to drink like 
bottled water, but you can like get a filter. It's just like thinking a little further, like not thinking that things are too small, I think. Like obviously all of this doesn't rest just in the individuals, but I think every individual does have an impact. Yeah, it's not gonna make it up the up the hierarchy until we push it up there. It has to come from the bottom up. I agree with that. So without recycling, how do you how do you dispose of things in El Salvador? It's it's just all trash. <laughs> like yeah, it's just all trash. So I feel like you have to be extra mindful. I have to be extra mindful and I haven't always been for sure. Like I've definitely got takeout and it's like styrofoam. It's like, oh, well, well. <laughs> No, uh, so I try and do something. I try and like pick one topic every month. And I, the, the, the hardest month that I chose was no single use plastics. And it's, it's almost impossible. You yeah. just can't avoid it's a, it's a necessary evil in so right. many ways. It was kind of funny to pack up my New York apartment and see all the glass jars. Everyone made fun of me. Like I had three, two or three people helping me and everyone was making fun of me. Like, why are you a glass jar hole, like hoarder? And I'm like, cause I'm trying to be better. <laughs> uh, so, you know, <laughs> I like, I, I ended up putting like at least half of it into the recycling and my landlady came to knock on my door and she was like, was that you? And I was like, yeah, sorry, I'm moving out. And she was like, oh, I thought someone had come to dump all their recyclables here. <laughs> <laughs> we're the same my wife and i are the same we get we heckled we have so many we have old pickle jars jelly jars yes everything we can especially to get the plastic out of our food mm-hmm. the more the more our food touches plastic the the more we're just hurting we're harming ourselves it's terrible it's really really bad yeah this comes down to what we were just saying is like the two generations before us they were doing this. Everything was came in metal. It came in aluminum. It came in glass. You sent the glass back. The company filled the glass back up. You got the glass bottle back. I mean, the well, milk came in glass. The yogurts came in glass. When I was little, I remember going to like the corner store and getting like a Coke and you could get it two ways. You could get the glass bottle and return it or you could get it in a plastic bag. <laughs> like they would pour the coke bottle into a plastic baggie stick a straw in it and that's what most people did but the real option was just take the bottle and return it (laughs) a a bag of coke oh yeah that's completely normal here (laughs) you've never seen that yeah you'll just see i mean i don't know if now but when i was a kid and definitely more in more rural areas you'll just see like kids running around little baggie of their soft drinks (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I'm sure they were so happy to not have all the broken glass everywhere. Well, but that ends up in the rivers and, you know. Sure does. <laughs> we weren't thinking about that then. We weren't, no, th- we were just thinking about like, oh convenient. man, all this, all this broken glass everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's all a system. <laughs> so now, uh, obviously you're not going to have too much headway in El Salvador, but in New York city, were you having headway in like, in and encouraging designers to think about things like that when they were designing? I think I was more trying to like lead by example. Okay. Sort of thing. I definitely find myself getting preachy if you get too close to me. <laughs> so, which just pushes people away, frankly. You know, it's like, oh, it's just stop nagging me about this, you know? <laughs> so I guess I more try to lead by example in the workplace. Or, you know, yeah, just like being mindful of things. Or like sometimes, I think this was earlier on, but I was complaining about all the gaff tape we were wasting. And someone was like, it's not your money. Why do you care? It's like, it's not about the money. <laughs> Oh man, don't, don't stop preaching. Those are the little things that we have to make everybody aware of. We it don't, we don't need to, we don't need to waste that much stuff. We really don't. Yeah. We can be really impactful and effective without, without wasting so much garbage. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, please, please don't, uh, don't back down. Keep it up. <laughs> I think a lot of people share. In fact, myself, even as of 10, maybe, yeah, probably 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I would think that if you wanted to be more sustainable or more eco-friendly, that meant you had to compromise quality. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Is that some of the pushback you get? Um, not really. I don't think that's really a thing anymore. Are we talking in lighting? Are we talking like everything? I think, yeah, actually that applies to everything. I think like people are trying for more efficiency now. People are seeing like, oh, this should be also good, not just not just (laughs) eco-friendly. Yeah. Um, as far as lighting in particular goes, it used mm-hmm. to be true. It used to be yes. that you couldn't get for sure. the same output from the same wattage. Or the but dimming now, was yeah. just like choppy or the color mixing was awful. Yeah, for sure. But now I would say it has flipped. I would say the LED products are superior. You're getting more output, better quality, and they last longer. Yeah, I feel like... Disposable. Yeah, I think now it's more of an aesthetic choice, really. Like the quality's there. Like yeah. it's either an aesthetic choice or a budget choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how we flip too. The the conventional fixtures are the cheaper, less mm-hmm. efficient fixtures now. And they're like, oh, I'm on a budget. I have to use, you know, the mm-hmm. classic For fixtures. Sure. I, so uh, I can only see that as the led fixtures last longer and the manufacturer and the, the rental houses have made their return on investment, the mm-hmm. price will come down on those too. It's, it's, in, it's inevitable. I think, yeah. And that's, that's happening with everything like lighting and everything, everything else, like as the whole return on investment you said, right. As soon as that's happening, then I think people are able to see, that things are more efficient or things are better. Like there's no reason not to use them. Yeah. So in New York city, I would imagine that there's many theaters that have had the same Lico's, the mm-hmm. same park hands on the same battens for 20 years with no real motivation to get rid of them. They're like, well, those Lico's have been there for 20 years. Why would we ever replace them? Would you, would you encourage people to replace old fixtures? that are working? I feel like I can't say yes or no, because if you already have it and you're just going to toss it, then you're wasting it. Right. Like no matter the electricity efficiency, it's still a waste. It's still going to be polluting. It's still the same like river of like, well, we've had to make it and now we have to dispose of it. Right. So it's never just a yes or a no. Like maybe you can donate it to someone who doesn't have anything. Maybe there's a high school. Maybe there's a community theater. Maybe if you like, if you have the budget to buy new stuff, you should probably donate it. Right. But yeah, it's just, it's not that easy. It's not yes or no. Because then you also have to like, if you just have dimmers, like you always have to figure the whole electricity part out. It's not just the instruments. The cable. Uh, there's so many factors yeah but the pace of the transition from the old classical style to the newer more efficient stuff is it's painfully slow but for all of these factors yeah. is it better to get rid of them and upgrade to the newer more sustainable stuff do you keep the old stuff until it breaks and then try and replace them one at a time that rarely works out. Yeah, I was going to say it's like in theory, yes, but in reality, then you just have everything not matching. <laughs> Different matches of everything. Ugh, that's, that's getting. Yeah, see, we bought those Lico's a year ago. And then this, the Lico right next, we bought it a year later. And that one's brighter because they're already more efficient. Yeah. The next I one doesn't match. It's terrible. I was in a theater where I think I got in three. I can't remember exactly what lights they were, but they had a spare one but they have been trying to use it in like a dark room <laughs> at the same pace as the two on stage so that when they had to replace one that broke, it wouldn't be brighter. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just throw some mud on it to mm-hmm. balance it out. <laughs> just let the dust accumulate. <laughs> yeah. This, <laughs> eventually it won't be so bright. <laughs> just give it 20,000 hours and maybe it'll degrade. I don't know. We'll eventually wait. everything is a fog machine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which one do you prefer doing? The or do you like doing theater, dance, concerts? Dance for sure. Dance is your dance is your yeah, jam, huh? It's my baby, yeah. <laughs> I I grew up dancing, um, and I don't know. It's just like I remember in my university, you had to take you know intro to lighting, costume, scenery, and I pushed lighting until the last possible second uh because i was scared of electricity isn't that wimpy uh (laughs) you've come so far right i was scared of electricity and i hated everyone who was studying lighting (laughs) i was like i don't want to be these people anyway um and then i finally took the class and i was like why did I not do this earlier? Like, it was like, I felt at home. It was like, I was literally choreographing light. That's how I felt. And it was like, why did I put all these like blockages? But you live, you learn. And yeah, ever since then, I just stuck to it. Right on. So you you get to fill both of your passions there, dancing and choreographing light. Mm-hmm. I also just love talking to choreographers because I can be like I, I don't have to be like oh the skinny thing <laughs> I can be like oh then you do the arabesque and the whatever and I find that a lot of times they love having someone who speaks the same language um so that helps that's a really nice communication <laughs> your dream job is uh, lighting a dance show in Spanish like you're totally speaking all the same languages in this case. I've done that. I, <laughs> I of went. Of course with... you have. You're the first person I would think of to do that. <laughs> it was kind of funny because I had never worked in Spanish. So uh, like, you know, I Spanish is my first language, but I had learned all of the theater terminology in English. So I had to go to Google and <laughs> what does this mean and it was also in Spain so they speak very different Spanish than me and so it was just this whole like is this really how you say this I remember the most shocking one was sidelight for a boom I think it was like uh, what was it the tower of the street something like that (laughs) (laughs) sounds very complicated Oh, because I guess it was like the towers, the boom of the street being like a path of light. I don't know. That's what I, I don't know. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Right on. So that's actually a perfect segue into basically what has to be my last question because we're almost out of time. Okay. What is it like working? You've kind of already explained what it's like to work in South America. Central. Then you had to go to the, to, sorry, Central, I'm sorry, Central America. <laughs> sorry, I'm American. Anything South of Mexico is South America. Even. <laughs> I accept, I apologize. You've, so you've worked, you've already explained what it's worked to work in Central America. Yeah. Then you went to the South, the American South. Yeah. Then you went to New York City and yeah. you've worked in Spain. Yeah. What are some of the biggest differences to working all over the world uh, outside of the language, which is fairly obvious? I think the pace. The pace. <laughs> yeah, I'm so used to New York. Just get it done. Go, 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 go. And sometimes I would be in like North Carolina and everyone would just be so relaxed and I would be the stressed out New York designer. <laughs> <laughs> That's that big city New Yorker over there. Yeah, seriously. Also, I think because I look very young, I mean, I am young, but I look very young. So they would be like, are you a student here? I'm like, no. (laughs) No, I'm the designer. Yeah, like, okay, (laughs) ma'am. 
Oh, yeah, I would imagine the, the ma'ams you would get. It's like, is, was that a condescending ma'am or was that a respectful ma'am? I think because I went to school in Georgia, I am pretty good at gauging them. So I've learned Southern colloquialisms. <laughs> Toss them right back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm fluid in Southern. <laughs> Right on. So you would you say that New York is just like five times the pace? Yeah. Depends where you are. It depends the size of the venue. Okay. Depends, yeah, it depends what you're working. Is it a union house? Is it like not, you know, it depends. Which one do you prefer the most? Is it is New York City still the best place to work? Yes, because I don't have to explain my person. You know, I, in New York, I can just do the work. And sometimes you get to other places and you have to be like, yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I am young. Yes, I'm making this choice. Yes, yes, yes. And then we can do the work. So that's exhausting. Or yes, I'm not from here. Yes, I'm, I speak Spanish. Yeah, like, you know, it's just this preamble, unnecessary. <laughs> Interesting. So in New York City, all of that is just understood. Like, well, I, of course, yes. there's a Central American female... Mostly, yeah, for Designer. sure. Designer. Of course there yeah. is. Why yeah. wouldn't it be? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. I, I, uh, I like hearing that. <laughs> right on, Alex. Thank you so much for, for making time today. I know that you've got so much world oh, yeah. to explore down there. I'm sure you're oh, very busy. My schedule, jam-packed. You know it. <laughs> trying to develop a new chocolate cake. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Alex. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>